we are in a series where we're looking at decision points in your life. Those moments in your life where to act will cause something different and to not act will cause something to happen. So it's those moments where life's going to go one direction or the other. And you've had those. You've had those perhaps when you made a choice of whether or not to go to college, whether or not to uh, which career you're going to choose, whether or not to take a new job opportunity from the job opportunity that you had before. You had that opportunity when you decided, will you be married? You had these opportunities, these moments where everything that follows after this decision is a life-determining course. And what we're doing now is we're looking at those moments and how they relate to our faith. What's the role that they play in the life of one that says, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus? And then how do those moments play out? How do we move forward with that? Because one thing that you're going to see throughout this series is that the decision to follow Jesus is not simply a one-time decision. But it becomes a daily decision. And as you see from the short video and the graphs that we have, it's the decision that you decide, I'm in. I, I, I'm going to go all the way in with this. See, this is why, and you've heard this phrase, and even if you're not particularly religious or you're fairly new to church, you've probably heard the phrase, pick up your cross. But it ends in a particular way, pick up your cross daily. And it becomes a decision Every single day. And so to help us, we're going to a guy that just kept jumping. His name's Peter. And Peter was one of the early followers of Jesus. And you're probably familiar with Peter. I mean, he is a guy that wrote a couple of books in the New Testament. They bear his name, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. There's some letters that he wrote. And he's also one of the original leaders of the church. He's seen as the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Where Paul took the message outside of Jerusalem. Peter was the leader church in Jerusalem. So he shows up a whole lot in the story. He's a hero of faith. We name our kids Peter. We name our uh, hospitals after him. We name institutions after him. He's one of those guys that we just seem larger than life. But what we want to do is we want to go back and look at him as Scripture presents him. Because Scripture does not present him as larger than life. He presents him like you and me. Somebody that we can relate to. And so I'm going to zoom in on that story that you just heard Pierce read. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 14 or go to westernhills.church and you'll find our scriptures there. And we're going to look at a time, this is probably a pretty familiar passage. This is a story you've at least, this is one of those stories that I would call a children's story often. Not because the content in it is designed for children, but it's very dramatic and it's very visual. And so we can show a lot about the story. And so this is one we'll teach our kids a lot. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. We're going to get to one part of the story and you're going to go, yeah, right. Okay? I cannot believe that you, being a rational being, would actually believe in a story like this. Because there's a part of it that we would say is miraculous. You might say it's a fairy tale. I understand that. We believe this to be true. What I'm going to ask you to do is to 
to go along with us until we get all the way to the end so that you can then make your decision. Don't, don't just push back against it right away because you read lots of stuff as you go throughout the week. You don't believe everything you read. If you do, I've got a business deal for you. Okay? But you're on Facebook, you're on social media, you're reading stuff in, in whatever news source you want to believe, and you don't buy it all, but you still are willing to interact with it and consider it. So that's what I'm asking you to do with this. Before you dismiss the story out of hand, I'm going to ask you to consider what the story is asking us to think about. Okay, there's my, my one request. So Matthew chapter 14, what is happening right before this is that Jesus has um, been with a crowd. His, his popularity is growing. And Jesus hits a moment where he needs to be alone to pray. And so he finishes preaching. He tells the disciples, get into a boat. And we're going to talk about it in just a second. But he tells them, get in a boat and send across what's known as the Sea of Galilee. This is a very, very large lake in the Holy Lands. And he's going to send them to the side. And Jesus is going to go by himself to pray because he needs some time to reconnect to his heavenly father and so with that he sends the disciples out into the lake and so with that we're going to pick up in verse uh, 22 immediately and this is immediately after he gets done with this crowd and once again there's there's thousands of people around and jesus is going to actually try to pull away from the crowd immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. You guys get in the boat and go. Now these guys were very familiar to boats. Most of them had been fishermen before they followed Jesus. In fact, we talked about that last week. Several years ago, this is fascinating, just to give you a visual of what this looked like. Several years ago, when the Jerusalem, the surrounding areas, was experiencing a drought around the Sea of Galilee it began to shrink in its capacity. And we've seen this happen out at, in our local lakes. When we go a long time without rain, the water level drops down. When the water level dropped down, some two guys that had been looking, hoping to discover a sunken boat, came across a first century boat that would have been the same kind. Now, if you go looking for it now, if you want to Google it, it's called the Jesus boat. That doesn't mean that we think Jesus actually stood on this boat, but this is what they were able to recover it gives you a sense of what these boats were like. In fact, one of the cool things I found about this is this was so fragile as they started pulling it out of the silt and the mud that they immediately wrapped it up in some protective measures and then they soaked it for 12 years in wax to preserve it. And you can actually go see this boat now. But this gives you a taste of what it's like. Now I want you to picture being in this boat out in the middle of what they call the sea, out on the, the very large lake, and a storm comes up. And even seasoned fishermen, they've seen this before. And they're panicked. Here's how the story goes on. After he dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. For the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night... Okay, pause just one more second. The fourth watch. We're not familiar with that very much. At least I'm not. You may have had more of a military experience and, and be familiar with that. Fourth watch of the night is from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. 
Two things I want you to know about that. One, it's the darkest part of the night. It, it, it's, it's when the, 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 the light is just going to be at its absolute lowest. It's at the lowest part. So they're in the darkest part of the night, and they're fighting the storm. This is unsettling business. I, I, I have nothing to compare this to in my own life experiences. I, I've shared the one time I went deep, deep sea fishing with you. Okay, We went out on waves that when we first started to pull out on them, I thought, oh, this is not good. It's out on the coast, and we were pulling out of a jetty. Other boats were turning around, and we decided we'd go ahead, and we came cruising up this one wave, and we crested over that wave, and there was another one right behind it, and our the driver of the boat was very skilled, pushed through that second wave. Once we got out, it didn't seem quite as dangerous, but we spent the entire time doing this. And I spent the entire time feeding the fish. Okay? Not because they were on the end of my line that we were fishing with. Well, if you had taken away the light and you had added wind and rain and lightning and thunder... And you put me in a boat like I just showed you. That would have been terrifying. That's where these guys are. They've seen bodies wash up on the shore. And it's the dark of the night. second thing I want you to understand about this is this. Is that Jesus has been praying. And I imagine that he was up on a hillside and he could see what was going on. I mean, the storm didn't surprise Jesus, let's be honest. The fact that they're out in the storm didn't surprise Jesus. Jesus does not take a walk across the lake and goes, Oh, hey guys, didn't know you were here. But he waits until the fourth watch of the night. Jesus let them experience the storm. So hold on to that. We're going to come back. Keeps going. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and you would be too. Because they were already concerned about their life. And now, and I can only picture through lightning flashes, right? Like a lightning flashes, and they, they see something out there, and then it kind of flashes again, and then it's closer, and they're like, look, 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 what is that? And they're already suspicious. And they cry out, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. I would too. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. What I want you to hear when he says, it is I, this is code language. What he's saying is, another translation is this, Jesus says, he sees them, being afraid. he says, take heart. Then he says, I am. Now that sounds strange to us. It sounds more like Yoda speak to us. But when Jesus says, I am, which we translate, it is I, he is claiming to be something in that moment. He's using a phrase, a title, a way of referring to God. And the disciples hear it. When Moses, if you're familiar with the story of Moses, way back in the Old Testament, Moses goes on the run from Pharaoh in Egypt. And he spends 40 years out in the desert herding sheep. And one day, God's about to call him back into service. 
And so he has a burning bush way up on the mountainside. And Moses sees this, and it's a strange sight to him because the bush is on fire, but it doesn't get consumed. It never burns up. So it goes up there, and he actually ends up, God speaks through the bush, speaks, into, speaks to Moses, and tells him that he's the one that he's chosen to go and res, um, rescue his people from, from Egypt. And Moses asked the question, who shall I say sent me? And the answer that comes back is, I am. This is the same response that Jesus is giving. Don't be afraid. I am. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And this is the part where you're going to think it's strange, I promise. And Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. Here's Peter. He's at a decision point. He's got wind, rain, waves, lightning, darkness, and fear is all around him. That's the storm. And they get a glimpse of what just might be Jesus actually walking on the water, unfazed by everything else going around. You don't get the idea that Jesus is on some kind of surfboard, you know, doing this. He's solid out there. And Peter cries out. And I want to say that this is a combination of faith and desperation. That these are mixed together because he's still afraid about going down. And he calls out, if it's you, tell me to come out to you. And Jesus says this unbelievable thing. He goes, come on. Come on. And Peter makes this I'm in decision. And steps out of the boat. And I don't know if he was amazed or if he's just sort of all caught up in the moment. Begins to walk across the water towards Jesus. But remember, he's not larger than life. He's not unlike you and me. He's not some special superhero faith character. He's us. And so he ends up doing what we would end up doing. Suddenly, he's distracted by, takes his attention towards the wind and the rain and the darkness and the waves. And in that moment, he begins to sink. Now, if you've gone back and read earlier in Matthew, Jesus gave Peter his name, Peter. It was called Simon before. But because of a powerful statement that he made, says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. He says, I'm going to call you Peter, which means rock. I wonder if there was a little humor in Jesus when now Peter starts to sink like a rock. I mean, don't you imagine the other guys, ever there? yeah, he's a rock. And he's going down. And Jesus reaches down and grabs him. And it's really easy to hear at this moment. It's really easy because we think Jesus would respond just like we think. 
to read in a certain tone into Jesus' words. And I want us to be real careful with that. And this is kind of just good advice in general. You ever receive a text message that you read it and you're like, I cannot believe they said that because you're putting a certain tone into it. But if you change the tone, suddenly the text message gets a lot better. We think we're so convinced that we always know exactly what tone somebody else is talking to. I don't think Jesus read this in, oh, you of little faith. What were you thinking? I had you. No. I want us to hear in the tone of a father with a son that's learning to do something for the very first time. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. Why, why do you have such little faith? You've got this. This is within your scope because I'm here. I have some very distinct memories. There's something about us, and I hope my kids see me this way. I, I think of my dad still as the six foot five strong athlete that I remember. I, I don't think of my dad the way he is right now, but this great athlete, he was a basketball player and a, a strong guy. And I remember very distinctly as a young kid, I'd be up on something high or I'd be up on the side of the pool and he'd be in the water and he'd go, jump. And there was this moment where I, you know, kind of, am I in, am I not? And I'd leap off and I'd leap into his arms. Dad caught me every single time. Every single time. I, I don't think of him in his older situation now. That's my dad to it. And this is Jesus to Peter right now. I've got you. Why, why, why are you worried about this? And it's not one of scolding. It's one of empathy and encouragement. I want you to hear Jesus' words that way. Because I think in that we begin to take away some lessons from this. So I reflected a lot on this passage. I'm going to share with you some things that I think we need to take away from it. And I hope some of these are encouraging to you. And if you want to write these down, or if you want to take a picture when we put them up on the screen, I encourage you to do that. And at the end, I'm going to have a challenge for you. But I want to talk about our leap of faith, particularly in the midst of storms. And I'm going to talk about some storms in your life, because we all know what it's like to experience a storm in our life, and your storm's going to be slightly different than my storm. And I want you to hear as we go through this, I am in no way talking down your, whatever particular storm you might be in. I, I'm not trying to minimize the storm and act like it's not real, because it's real. Whatever it is for you, it, I'm going to acknowledge that it's real. But I'm going to try to give you a Jesus perspective, one that Peter experienced in this very moment as you take a step of faith and face your storm. Here's the first thing I want you to understand. If you're experiencing a storm right now, the storm around you is not a measure of Jesus' love for you. So often we want to, we want to judge God's value of us or our relationship with God by how smooth life is going. Life's going smooth. God must be with us. God must be pleased with us. God must be happy with us. We enter into a storm. God must be upset with us. God must be distant from us. God must have left. The storm is not the measure of God's love or Jesus' love for you. Remember, Jesus loved these guys. He sent them in the boat. He knew the storm was going to come in sent them into the storm, and did not respond to them until the fourth watch night. He let them experience the storm. 
And it was not because he didn't love them. It wasn't because they had disappointed him at the last preaching moment. It wasn't because they'd shown some lack of faith somewhere. So whatever storm you're in, I want you to at least be encouraged today that the storm you're in is not a measure of how much God or Jesus loves you, but that they can actually reach in and redeem something, redeem you, use the storm in a way. So here's, that brings me to number two. Jesus will use the storm to help you see him. Suddenly they see Jesus in a whole new way, don't they? They see Jesus in a whole new way when through the lightning he's standing on the water. And all their focus went to him. And especially for Peter, guess where the focus got taken away from? The boat. God will use the storm to help you focus on Jesus and doubt the boat that you're in. Because we so want to trust the boat we're in, don't we? We so want to think, if I can build it, if I can control it, if I can use my own skills to leverage it, I'm in a much better place, and yet Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I'm going to invite you to step out of that boat and into the storm. And oftentimes it's in that storm, it's in that struggle that suddenly we start to see Jesus in a whole new light. And I have been blessed to have conversation after conversation with so many of you and throughout my ministry career that have come up and you've described a storm that you're in. And some of them are horrific. It's grief, it's struggle, it's loss, it's pain, it's suffering. And in the middle of telling that story, you say, But I'm learning to see Jesus in a whole new way. I'm learning to focus on Him differently. I thought I needed some of these other things. Now I know I don't. I I thought I needed this boat as security. Now I realize I don't. And you would not wish the storm that you're walking through or walked through on anybody else. But they always end with the phrase that goes something like this. But I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I wouldn't give up that storm for what I now see in Jesus. Jesus will use the storm to help you see him clearly and doubt the boat, cause you to doubt the boat that you're in. Next one I want to share with you is this. We'd rather get Jesus in our boat than join him on the water, right? Now this one's going to get personal, isn't it? We are so good at, and we spend so much energy, me included, I want to get Jesus on board with my agenda. And so my prayers start taking on a whole new light when I say, Jesus, what I'd like you to do is I've got this plan, and I'm going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to get on board with that because I'd like it to be smooth and easy. And what Peter's response is, And what the moment tells us and what Matthew, as he records this story for us, is trying to get us to understand that we got to stop trying to get Jesus on our boat and go where he invites us. And that's out in the water. And if you notice, it's out in the storm. 
And we've got to get our minds around that, for, especially for those of us that, that we claim to be followers of Jesus. We've got to pay attention to this one. Because so much of my discipleship, my Christianity, is trying to get Jesus on board with me instead of me getting on board with Jesus and following him where he leads. So what I want to do is I want him to bless my stuff. And what Jesus is doing is he's inviting me to come out into the mess that is the storm. Now, I want you to think about that for us as a church. This means as a church, we're not in the business of building a better boat for ourselves. We're not in the business of making ourselves more comfortable. But as our elders are seeking and discerning and praying for God, if God answers those prayers, what he's going to do is he's going to call us out of the boat into messy areas out into our community and into culture and places that are not safe. And there's going to be times that you may wonder, why are we going there? Because that looks pretty risky, and that's exactly the point. Jesus invited Peter, step out. We're not trying to get Jesus onto our boat. We're trying to join him. So that brings me up to the next one. A step of faith is always a step outside of your comfort zone. There is no step of faith that Jesus asks where you get to step back into your comfort zone. Now, I don't want to wreck your vision of God. But you need to understand this. God does not care about your comfort zone. So let me say that again. Because I love you. God does not care about your comfort zone. God, God does not spend his time trying to figure out how to keep you comfortable. Not because he doesn't love you. He, he loves you more than you can ask or imagine. But think about it just for a moment with me. If God was willing to send his own son from heaven to walk on the earth, to be spit upon, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be humiliated, ultimately executed and buried... If he's willing to go through that lease to rescue you, do you not think he would use your career, your health, your comfort zone, whatever else, to get your attention? He cares far more about your character. And so anytime we take a step of faith, it's always going to be outside of our comfort zone. Peter had to leave the comfort zone of the boat. And step into something that he had never done before. And we have no record of him doing since. But to head toward Jesus. It's always going to be a leap from the water to the comfort zone. But here's the truth. And here's the last one I want you to pay attention to. The invitation Jesus offers is to join him where he already is. See, Jesus doesn't invite you or send you someplace he's not already. He, he doesn't say, you go there, good luck. And so when he invites us to take this risk and step out of the boat, go right to the edge and take the leap, it's an invitation to join him. Not prove something to him, but to go join him where he already is and is at work. That's why when Peter started looking around and seeing the, the waves... Jesus was right there to catch him because Jesus was already there. He didn't show up later. 
And so there's going to be moments as you go through your, your life, as you go through your day, and there's going to be these opportunities to take a step of faith, to move somebody's direction, to start a ministry where Jesus is already at work. We talked earlier about the re-engage ministry. Okay. That was a huge step of faith for Jeff and Melissa as they had this burden on their heart to bring a ministry that would help heal and restore and renew and, and encourage marriages. So they take a step of faith, not to do something where Jesus isn't at work, but to join Jesus where he's already at work because he's the healer of all marriage. And meet him out there in the messiness of the storm that is broken relationships. See, so where's Jesus inviting you? Because wherever he's inviting you, he's already there. This is why we don't try to get him back into our boat. So as a church, as we're praying, as we're discerning, as our shepherds are trying to lead us into a place, we're praying to go find where Jesus is already at work in our world, in our community, in our lives, and say we're going to go there. Not because we're experts at it. Not because we've already got the answers, because that's where Jesus has invited us to join him. So I want to offer up a challenge. Each week we're going to end these, these sermons with a challenge. The I'm in challenge. So here's my I'm in challenge for you this week. I want you to become very aware of the moments that Jesus might be asking you to step out in faith and respond. See, that's, that's the moment that, for Peter. Suddenly in the storm, what if it's you, command me to come to you. And Jesus commands. He says, come. So as you go through your day, and I believe that God offers up these moments every single day, I want to increase your awareness. And just by us talking about it, I think you'll be far more aware. I used the sermon illustration one time. I said you become aware of the things that you're paying attention to. And I said, count the number of red trucks that you see as you drive home today. I didn't anticipate this, but my phone lit up after church because everybody was sending me the number of their red trucks. They said, oh. So I guarantee you, it's going to happen again. You will notice red trucks driving home. You'll be like, when did so many red trucks happen? I had one person accuse me of trying to set it up somehow, like I organized red trucks to be driving around town. I mean, I'm good, but I'm not that good. So as you're aware, as you're paying attention to now, there's going to come these moments where you're going to feel what I'm going to call a holy hunch, and that's the Holy Spirit at work. We talked about that earlier this year. Saying, time to respond. It may be very simple. It may be some stranger that you encounter in a store. I, I, I don't know. Maybe there will be an opportunity to pay for somebody's groceries. Maybe there will be an opportunity to walk across the street and do something for your neighbor. Maybe it's someone that you work with. Maybe there's a chance for you to make a phone call that you know is going to be a difficult phone call, but suddenly you've got this, this thing, I need to call this person. And I need to either encourage them or I need to apologize to them or I need to make something right. And it's Jesus going, come. Come. So I want you to encourage, I want you to be aware that I want you to say a prayer. Just like Peter. Lord, if it's you, ask me to come. And then be open to however he answers that prayer. I want to put that in front of you for one week. Seven days till we gather again. That you would put that into practice. 
And just like seeing red trucks everywhere, you'll become amazed at how many times Jesus is saying, come on in. The water's fine. I got this. And so the reason that I can so boldly proclaim that is because Jesus has already modeled this for us. He's walked through the storm for us. He's walked right in the middle of your storm. The storm of your sin and your brokenness and all the things that have taken you far apart from God. He walked right into the middle of that. He opened his arms. He laid down his life on the cross. It was brutal. It was horrific. And he did it. See, that's the one thing I want you to understand about the God that we serve. It's different, distinctly different from all other religions in the world. Christianity stands alone in this. It, it doesn't say, Christianity's, the basis of Christianity is not, there's a God on high and we're going to tell you how to climb the mountain and get up to Him. We're, we're going to tell you what practices to go through to grow closer to Him. Christianity is unique in its claim that God on high comes down, walks in the middle of your storm, lays down His life so that you can be in relationship with Him. That is unique around the globe, through all of history. Only Jesus makes that claim. So he's already walked in the middle of your storm. And aren't we so glad, and aren't you so grateful that he has? Let me pray for us. Father, I so love my comfort zone. And I work so hard to protect it. So, Father, I pray that you would help me this week to step out of the boat. To hear the invitation of Jesus and to respond. Whether it's a big way or a small way, Father, bring us all in the awareness of that. Father, I also pray. I pray for those that are right now in the middle of the storm. That they feel like they're about to be taken under, Father, that you would redeem the storm and you would show yourself as the God that joins us in the middle and the one that takes on the storm for us, Father. Would you help us to see you clearly in concrete ways this week in the middle of whatever the storm is that we're facing and that you would encourage our hearts and our lives and give us that strength and that confidence and that joy and that peace that passes all understanding of this world to hang on to you. To hear the same words of Peter. Don't doubt. Because you've got this. Father, I am grateful that Jesus walked into the middle of the storm and laid down his life. That he was drowned on our account so we wouldn't have to be. And I'm so grateful that three days later, in victory, he walked out of the tomb. Father, let us hold on to that forever. I ask all this in the name of the one that invites us out of the boat. In the holy name we pray. Amen.